One of the things that I've come to understand that's possibly a bit of a hindrance for Westerners is that monks do not tend to talk with Westerners uh, in public, in print, uh, except in very rare circumstances um, about certain topics, mm-hmm. which would then by the monk talking about those topics, he would talk about them in a way that indicates that he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And therefore telling people that they have attained things um, is is like that. Now, we're talking about it in the sense of bragging rather than in the sense of teaching the Dhamma. Mm-hmm. But that also can uh, kind of technically stands in the way. So the Mahasi system in particular um, does not give all of the teachings. There's stuff that I think are intentionally left out. But I don't know too much about uh, Yudadama other than I've heard some very good things about him from someone I really trust. Uh And that's that's, uh, the extent of that. So... um, Basically, if we go back to Anapanasati and see what's actually written there, then we can come to understand how most of the practices that we find in the West have holes in them. And one of those holes would be one of the steps of Anapanasati as a complete practice. Now, one of the disadvantages of the Watsuan Mok was with, with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's idea of rather than teaching first graders only the first grade and second graders only the second grade, let's teach the first and second graders about the whole path so that even if they don't get any more instructions, they'll understand how to do the whole path. Unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily work for many students to hear what the whole thing or the whole show is. That most retreats are structured around uh, one step at a time. And since most retreats have beginners, almost all retreats have to then do the same beginner stuff over and over and over again. Right? That means that eventually we're going to be missing stuff mm-hmm. that has to be added to it. Mm-hmm. All right. So in a way, you can think of I'm either going to be plugging holes or, or plugging in the holes in your practice. Mm-hmm. Or another way of speaking is maybe we're just going to turn the whole thing upside down and start again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, one of the important points that we look at is, is that these things that we're uh, doing in what we're calling meditation, and I actually uh, would prefer to use the term anapanasati because that we know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but the word meditation is just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, whatever we're practicing, it would be, in fact, bringing it back to the practice of Anapanasati mm-hmm. and that that's the actual teaching that the Buddha gave 
and that uh, in this teaching of Anapanasati, the Buddha talked about the various groups of people that were there, including those that were practicing the Brahma Viharas or Metta meditation. In fact, Metta, when fully and properly understood, is an aspect, but only an aspect, of Anapanasati. Mm-hmm. But it's quite an important um, quality to it. And so when we understand that the practice of Anapanasati is a complete system and that it's got a lot of different aspects, 16 altogether, uh-huh. you probably heard that at Wat Suen Mok. Pardon? I have a little book from Buddha Dasobhiku. Okay. So the 16 steps of Anapanasati are actually broken down into four groups of four each. Mm-hmm. And that makes it much easier to remember as well as how to practice it. Mm-hmm. And that is the body, the feelings, the mind, and the mind's object. Those are the mm-hmm. four Satipatthana. So we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness. Yeah. Where the Mahasi system generally... Uh, narrows down and focuses down more to just the Satipatthana Sutta mm-hmm. and fill in their blanks through uh, other books like uh, the Vasudhi Maga and other later works rather than going back to the practice of the Buddha. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that is there that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa keeps pointing back to let's do it according to the suttas, not according to the later literature. Okay. Uh, and so, um, to, in, to in, introduce Anapanasati in uh, a way of incorporating it, the first thing that we can say is, is that uh, while we discuss it in an organized way, generally, we can, in fact, practice it in a more natural way. Mm-hmm. But the natural way that we practice is not going to be... Um, the way that it would be laid out according to a standard. And mm-hmm. since the standard is uh, Satipatthana, uh, then that means body, feeling, mind, and mind's objects, but that's not the way to be practicing. Okay. That, that uh, the first thing that we need to do um, then is to look at how does the Eightfold Noble Path itself fit into Anapanasati, or another way of asking the question uh, is, is that in order to practice the Eightfold Path, we use Anapanasati to do it. That Anapanasati is actually the application of the Eightfold and Noble Path. Most specifically, five of uh, the eight. The other three are Sila. And basically the way that a noble looks at sila is it's something to be, uh, let us let's call it in the sense of wrong behavior, is something merely to be avoided through wisdom, not because it's a rule or a training technique, that it's the outcome. Mm-hmm. Of course, when my mind is completely free of suffering, I'm not going to go around causing anybody suffering. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything, but I'm not going to steal anything. Yeah. If I'm not angry at anybody, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Uh-huh. Right? And so if that's the way that we really want to see the Shiva part of the Eightfold Noble Path. The other five parts are right 
view right um, Sati waking up, right uh, effort, and this is a key ingredient, right effort, bringing about one's right attitude. Now, this new attitude is basically a world view. Mm-hmm. And that world view, the view of the world of the Buddha, is that the Buddha is a lion. He's a winner. He's got it nailed. He knows what he's doing. Complete 100% confidence. Bango. That's our attitude. Nice. We've yeah. got this thing nailed. Okay. Well, most people don't have that attitude. Most no, people okay. have the attitude of, I'm angry, means that the anger has consumed me. Yeah. Now, I am the anger rather than the anger is just separate, okay? Yeah. But the noble will say, ah, anger, I see it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the way that we begin to practice in is by understanding that the Eightfold Noble Path are skills to be developed. Mm-hmm. And that uh, in the Anapanasati Sutta, these items are actually listed then as skills to be developed. And so uh, one's right attitude, excuse me, one's right view is, is the thing that, that kicks things off in the sense that you wouldn't have called me, you wouldn't have gone to watch someone milk, you wouldn't have ever meditated without the idea that there is in fact suffering and something could be done to eliminate it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so way down inside, you already had the wisdom at the, that winds up being the entire teaching of the Buddha, Dukkha, Dukkha, Rhoda. That's our beginning right view, mm-hmm. which then a little bit later says is that not only is it right view in general, or the bigger example would be Dukkha, Dukkha, Rhoda as concepts, but Dukkha right this very second versus getting out of that Dukkha right this next very second is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, something that's happening right now. And that we have the view then that we can stop that Dukkha right now. We know we can do it. This is, in fact, part of the attitude that we're developing. But, the, but it starts with the right view. Yeah, I can do this. Mm-hmm. So now we give the instruction of uh, that this is since it's a breathing meditation to watch the breath. And then the mind wanders away from the breath, right? Mm-hmm. That's happened to every student. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, hopefully within the next hour, they're going to figure out that the mind has, in fact, wandered away from the breath. They're not watching the breath, and they kind of do a bit of a wake-up. Yeah. That wake-up is sati. The question is, how much wake-up? Mm-hmm. It's not just a, uh, an on or an off switch, but it's more like a, um, a rheostat. Mm-hmm or um, a volume control kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the example that when you wake up in the morning, like almost everyone, mm-hmm. not everyone, because we'll give an alternate <laughs> almost everyone, when they wake up in the morning, they have the thought, I'm going to lay here for a while. I'm not fully awake. Let me set the snooze alarm. In fact, we even may plan on that in advance and set the, the alarm so that it will snooze, right? Nobody, when they first wake up, jumps right out of bed. All right, they're not fully awake. It takes a while for us to get up to the point of when we're fully awake, and the fully awakeness has to do also with the quality of getting out of it, getting out of bed. Yeah. All right, let's look at the fact that that mindfulness, when we're sitting in uh, uh, practicing, that our sati, we need to develop it 
so that it comes quickly, it comes fast, and it comes open and complete. That we don't just wake up a little bit mm-hmm. and say, oh, I'm not watching the breath. Because, yeah. in fact, that's not enough. We can, in fact, wake up enough to see the dukkha, yeah. but not wake up enough to get out of it. Like we can uh-huh. wake up enough to see the bed, but we can't wake up enough to get out of it. Uh-huh. So, I offer you a couple of examples, but the easy example is, uh, because everybody's seen the movies about it or going through it, and that is Army Boot Camp. Uh-huh. And everybody's there in the rack asleep. Mm-hmm. And then the DA comes in, or the drill instructor, the DI comes in, banging his baton, mm-hmm. uh, making a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. What happens? Everybody immediately jumps out of bed and stands at attention, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Fast as they can. Yeah. If if the uh, if that drill sergeant sees anybody still in his rack, mm-hmm. he's going to go hit them with his baton, and everybody knows it. They've got to yeah. get up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other example then would be the Zen stick. Yeah. Why do the Zen masters have a Zen stick? You know, it's it's not just a stick, it's generally it's a piece of bamboo with a slit down the middle so that the two hands will clap together, making a large sound. Yeah. The question is, who does he hit? Well, the students, right? (laughs) Well, no, he only hits one or two. And when he hits somebody, that sound's going to wake everybody (laughs) up. Yeah. He only needs to hit one, so who's he going to hit? Yeah. Let's put it this way. The guy who does not know the Zen master is behind him is the one who gets hit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So everybody else knows the Zen master is there and they're going to straighten up just a yeah. little bit. The yeah. Zen master can see that. They're, woke, yeah. they're, they're alert. They're wake up. They're, here they are. Okay. So this is the quality because uh, later in the Zendo, especially in the training in later years, the, uh, the monks are there asleep in the... Um, the dormitory together, the Zen master walks in with his Zen stick. Who's he going to hit? Noah. Yes, he is. He's oh, going to hit who's still asleep in the bed. Yeah, okay. Everybody else is already up. Yeah. They know he's in the room. He doesn't have to bang around like the drill sergeant does. Just the Zen master coming in, and they know it, and he's up, yeah. and they're up. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is different kind of awareness than people getting really stuck into deep concentration or deep states. Yeah. This is to be here now, to be awake to what's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. And this is the quality that we're looking for with Anapanasati, is to mm-hmm. wake up rather than go deep. Yeah. If you can get that point, then we can make real progress. Okay. Yeah, that, that is a hard thing because sometimes there's some expectation of at some point, I don't know, some some deep state, right? Something uh, something special. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's something you shouldn't think about too much, but it can be hard to... Uh, well, sometimes it would make seem that such an experience would make it... And you come a little closer to the microphone. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes such an, like a deep experience would, would seem like it would be all worth it, right? Like yeah, I've been practicing for quite a while now. Not much is happening, and then sometimes you, I don't know, seek after these deeper states, which I know is not very not very wholesome, but it's hard not to do. Generally, the deeper states, the students will 
uh, mistake for Jonna. Yeah. And call it that. Yeah. However, what these deep states that students are going in, if they don't do the first jhana correctly and gather up all the factors of the first jhana, yeah. then when they go into these deeper states, that's not actually the second and the third and the fourth jhana. That these mm -hmm. things have very specific uses and terms for them. But yeah. going deep is what everybody thinks is jhana. And it generally is something like John. It just doesn't have all the factors. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, they, that things are not collected together yet. Yeah. That, in fact, the word concentration that's often used in uh, English language is not a good translation of the word samati. Mm -hmm. Samati actually means to collect things together. Okay. Rather than concentrate. An example of that is frozen orange juice concentrate. Yeah. Have you ever heard of such a product? Yeah, I have. Okay. So, they take the water out. That's why it's concentrated, right? Yeah. And they, they store it and they uh, uh, transport it. Mm -hmm. that, but can you use it that way? Do you actually take that frozen concentrate and consume it directly? No, he doesn't. No, what do we do? We put it back into its original form as best we can by adding water. Yeah. Which now means that it's now samati. Yeah. Before, while it was in concentrated state, it wasn't in samati. Mm -hmm. It was missing something. Okay. Now that we add the water, now, it, so in a way, concentration and samati are opposites. Okay. Okay. Because what the goal is, is to get the mind organized and unified, bringing all of the factors together. Mm -hmm. The factors of the Eightfold Noble Path would be the factor of uh, right view, mm -hmm. right sati, right effort, and right attitude. And yeah. when those things come together, they form a unified mind. Number five on the list is right samati. The mind yeah. is unified. All right, so we need to practice Anapanasati then for the unification of the mind. Uh -huh. And how we do that is in Anapanasati is we practice to bring the unification of all of the factors yeah. of the first jhana together. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the factors of the first jhana? One of them, the big one, the most important one is to have a mind free from hindrances. Mm -hmm. In fact, almost by itself, but not quite, almost by itself, having a mind that's free from hindrances is the goal. Yeah. Just have all of the crap out. Mm -hmm. And those hindrances can either be uh, thoughts or feelings or inclinations or urges or anything else like that. Yeah. And that we call them hindrances because they hinder us from being in a nice state of mind. So the first aspect is, is to be free from the hindrances. Once we gain freedom from the hindrances, that leaves us freedom then from feeling bad, and we can kind of decide how we do want to feel. Yeah. This is where we actually develop the skill of sukha and pity. Okay. Now, the sutta and pity is developed through right thought. Mm-hmm. 
And right thought then would be uh, having the kind of thoughts that would take us into satisfaction and into joy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right? So yeah. the kind of thoughts that we have are distinct from the kind of thoughts that are hindering thoughts. Yeah. Hindering thoughts are like, I got to go to town tomorrow. I've got to go buy another laptop and blah, 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 blah. Those are all hindering thoughts. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But. The kind of thought is, wow, this is really nice. Yeah. That, yeah, oh, what a good breath this is. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, so we're beginning to have good, delightful, wholesome thoughts of gladdening the mind. Yeah. And by gladdening the mind, we begin to lighten it up so that we begin to feel this rapture pity sequence going mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. as kind of the results of both, uh, both a result of being free from hindrances as well as um, skills to be further developed. Uh -huh. Now, both rapture and, uh, uh, or actually pity and sukha have many similar qualities, but there's some di distinctions. Yeah. One of the qualities that they share in general is satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Contentment, safety, security, mm -hmm. relaxation. But pity has an additional thing to it, which would be that it's got energy in it. Mm -hmm. It's got a yippee kaye o kaye, a yee-haw yeah, yeah. kind of quality to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so two examples would be like at New Year's, the ball drops and everybody counts down nine, eight, seven uh, on New Year's Day. Uh, night and then when it goes to 12 midnight everybody cheers yeah that's the pity yay we just burned up another year wastefully <laughs> <laughs> and then they sing a song like i'll anxiety or whatever which is now the suka everybody's rocking back and forth and it's a happy moment yeah the same thing happens in the football game when the score when the uh, team scores a touchdown or they uh, score a goal, and everybody jumps up, yay, we scored, we scored. That's the pity. That's the success. And then they sit down and, ah, and relax. Mm -hmm. That's the sukha. Okay, okay, nice. And these are skills to be developed, but they don't talk very much about it in the Mahasi method. No, not at all. <laughs> I agree. And they don't talk enough about it at the retreat at Watso and Mok. Mm -hmm. But the rapture and the sukha are actually skills to be developed. Mm -hmm. And when we do develop those, along with the breathing, when the breathing is done correctly, yeah. now we have uh, the gathering together of the factors of first jhana. Yeah. So this is where we come in with right effort. Mm -hmm. We have to take the effort to gladden the mind, to make it yee-haw, mm -hmm. to say I really like being free from the hindrances, yeah. and then start developing the skills of feeling relaxed and comfortable mm -hmm. and joyful and uh, in a state of not needing anything. Yeah. Now that's a whole lot better than being in the state of wanting to be enlightened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. 
So the whole idea is to turn all of those wants and desires upside down so that we can find a state of satisfaction Mm -hmm. and then start to develop that as a skill so that instead of having the developed bad habit of keep wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting, now we're developing a new habit of being satisfied and not wanting being in a state of wanting something. Mm -hmm. And so the old habits are being slowly replaced (laughs) with the new. And that happens immediately, within one or two seconds after you realize that the mind has wandered away from the breath, mm-hmm. gladdening the mind, taking a deep breath, and letting the, uh, 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 that out breath especially go into a sigh of complete relaxation. Yeah. Okay. And it only takes a second yeah. or two. But it needs to be practiced over and over and over again because it's just natural for the mind to wander away back into hindrances. Mm -hmm. And so this is the actual practice of Anapanasati at its basic level. Mm -hmm. But there's one more quality of the um, right uh, effort. Mm -hmm. And that is the effort to actually start taking long, deep breaths intentionally. Okay. With every in-breath, you know that it's a long, deep in-breath. And with every out-breath, you know it's a long, deep out-breath. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just as an example, let's say that most people, when they're without thinking about it, the normal breathing is somewhere between 40 and 60%. Yeah. On an in-breath, they take a little bit of air in, but they've already got a lot of air, maybe a third or 40%. And then when they breathe out, then they breathe out a little bit of air, back to down to uh, 35 or 40%. What we're going to do here is we're going to work a little differently from that, but we're not going to go to extremes of zero and 100%. It's more like about 80 and 30 or 80 and 25, so that when uh, when we breathe out, we actually breathe out, but we don't have to make sure of forcing all of that last air out because this is an easy breath. And so when we take our deep in-breath, then we, breathe, we come to a natural, full breathing point, and then we stop. Okay, okay this can, uh, I talk to students about this in the sense of 5-5-2. Five, five, Not that you're going to count all the breaths, every breath, all the time, but rather to get yourself into a rhythm, perhaps by counting the breath. So you'd have like a count of five on the in-breath and a count of five on the out-breath and then a count of two between the out-breath and the in-breath. Okay. Getting that little space after the out-breath is that sweet relaxation point. Okay. And so um, after we get the breathing in that way, this takes effort for the beginner. Mm-hmm. This is real effort, in fact. Because we've been known, most people breathe at about five, uh, excuse me, about 20 breaths a minute. This technique right now is taking us down in the range of five. We generally count a little bit faster than that, so it may be a little bit more. But we're still talking about by counting to five for the in and the out breath. That gives us time to really recognize that this is a complete breath. Now, the important part is, is that this is actually an oxygenating breath and an exhaustive out breath mm-hmm. that we actually do want to exhale, um, not just the carbon dioxide, but any of the other kind of waste that comes out through the breath. 
Yeah. And then when we breathe in, we're going to breathe in and oxygenate the blood. So in fact, what we're doing is we're changing the blood chemistry intentionally. Mm-hmm. We're lowering the pH level. Yeah. So Buddha didn't know about pH levels, but he knew what he was doing. <laughs> and he knew that it felt nice. It's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Being uptight and quick and breathing fast and all of that is not a relaxed state of mind. When we're actually relaxed, we're actually in breathing slower. Yeah. And more fully. Yeah. And gives us ability to think. Mm-hmm. So we have to add this quality of Anapanasati to it to make sure... Here's another point, but if you just look at the breath a little bit, yeah. then it's easy for the mind to wander away. Mm-hmm. But if we're intentionally making sure that this is a long, deep breath and a long uh-huh. out breath, then there's mm-hmm. two points of sati that come into there, that yeah. wakey-wakey in-breath coming in, big, long, deep one, wakey-wakey out-breath, time to wake up and do a long, neat out-breath. So that sati becomes quite powerful. And the mind doesn't generally wander away. We have a much better chance of keeping the mind, uh, we'll use words like focused and clear. Yeah. But more than that, this oxygen actually helps to energize the mind and gives it more oxygen so that it is actually not so drowsy. We actually wake up. Mm -hmm. We become tingly alive. Mm -hmm. And now the mind is really fit for work. Yeah. Okay, with the mind fit for work, this is a term Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa uses. A mind fit for work is actually in the suttas would be referred to as applied and sustained thought. Mm-hmm. To be able to apply the mind and to sustain it. Where? On something wholesome. <clears throat> to keep the mind in wholesome places. Uh-huh. And when we forget, then never mind, bring our mind back into wholesome places, take a deep breath, become satisfied, and start to practice being in a wholesome state as long as we can. Mm -hmm. This is the basic practice. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take long to get into a nice state once you get into the habit of, ah, what a nice day. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so we begin to practice being in a good state of mind. We have sukha. It's a skill to be developed. It's not an aftermath. It's not that just because the mind is free from hindrances mm-hmm. that um, sukha naturally arises. Mm-hmm. But the sutta does say that, uh, that sukha is born of the seclusion. In other words, being free from the hindrances will give birth to sukha. Yeah. But now we have to actually intentionally practice it, make yeah. it a skill. Let it grow into really deep, deep satisfaction. Now, most students, what they're doing is is that they're going deep, deep, hoping to find bliss down there someplace. It's the other way around, though. We develop the bliss, and as the bliss develops, now we can go deep. Yeah, okay. Uh Yeah, makes sense. I don't hear you now. The microphone okay, is completely... Okay, I said that, I said that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I don't hear you. Yeah. Do you hear me now? No, no sound. Is that is that my problem? I'm not sure. I'm just... Is this better? Any better? Hang on. Let me see if this is my problem.
I'll just keep talking. You let me know if you hear me. But I don't think you, you, I don't think you do. No sound. My microphone is on. I don't know. I can call you back. Try again. You hear me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I can't hear you at all. And I'm trying to test my sound. What about I call you again? 